Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, a CME podcast series where each week we translate today's late-breaking clinical research and news into tomorrow's practice. I'm Dr. Frank Domino, professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Chan Medical School and editor-in-chief of the 5-Minute Clinical Consult. Be sure to follow the link in the description after today's episode for more information about today's article and to claim CME credit. This podcast is brought to you by PrimeMed. Omar is a 24-year-old graduate student who comes in to see you for follow-up of his migraines. He uses oral sumatriptan when he has an attack, and that's generally been working okay, but he's having more frequent attacks. He knows he has not been eating well or getting enough sleep due to his academic work. Omar wants to know if there's something he could do to decrease the migraine frequency. He would rather not take a pill every day if he doesn't have to. Hi, this is Frank Domino, and joining me today is Alan Ehrlich, Associate Professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the UMass Chan Medical School and Executive Editor of Dynamed. Alan, thanks so much for talking about migraines. Thanks for having me on this morning, Frank. Yeah. Um, So before we get too far into how best to prevent them, as is Omar's need, can you talk a little bit about the difference between uh, what a migraine is and how it differs from a tension headache? Sure. Let's start with tension headaches. Uh, This is the most common type of primary headache disorder. The headache is typically bilateral. It will be of mild to moderate intensity. It can be severe at times, but typically it's it's milder. It's often described as a pressing or tightening quality or like a band across the forehead. Migraines are also quite common. However, they're typically unilateral, they're throbbing, and the pain is moderate to severe. A typical migraine will last a couple of hours up to a couple of days, and it can be accompanied by nausea, vomiting, photophobia, or phonophobia. In addition, there can be neurologic symptoms, first an aura, which could be visual, sensory, or language disturbance that can be precede or occur during the headache, and there can also be other neurologic phenomena such as motor weakness or dizziness. Both headache types can be either episodic or chronic. Chronic migraines are defined as having a headache 15 or more days per month with at least eight days that are characteristic of migraine features. This is because people who have migraines can also get tension headaches, but they can usually tell the difference. So with chronic migraines, if it's happening, if there's a headache at least half the time, uh, then you know that's where it separates from the episodic kind. I gotcha. I think patients in particular sometimes confuse tension with migraines because they get some nausea or some photophobia with tension headaches. But but that differentiation between unilateral and bilateral, tenderness of the scalp with tension and throbbing with migraines, very, very good at, at helping elicit. Now, one of the things I learned on early in my career is that chasing migraines can only lead to more migraines sometimes. So what are some good options for migraine prevention and prophylaxis? Well, you, you certainly, I want to just highlight what you were talking about there. You know, the idea of the medication overuse headache, where you're taking some medicine, and the problem with the medication overuse headaches is that the medicines that relieve the headache lead to a withdrawal. So yeah, that's something we clearly want to avoid. There are a number of ways to prevent migraines. If they are severe enough and happen often enough, a patient might want to try medication. I use as a rule of thumb four or five times per month, but that's really up to each patient. 
There might be some that do not want to try medicine if they don't need it, and others who might find having one headache a month incapacitating, and that's too much. So the medications with the best evidence for efficacy are propanolol, metoprolol, topiramate, and amitriptyline. These medications are typically started at a low dose and then titrated up as needed to control the migraines. Of note, for women who have menstrual migraines, fervotriptan can be used. The usual dosing is 2.5 milligrams once daily, starting two days before the onset of menses to three days after. There are other medications that can be used, but I'm just going to mention two classes. The first are calcitonin gene-related peptide treatments, and these include monoclonal antibodies, such as arenimab, verminezumab, galcanezumab, and eptinezumab. And there are also the receptor antagonists, rumegipant and atogipant. These are all FDA-approved for migraine prophylaxis uh, in adults. In addition, the other option that some people wind up trying is Botox injections. Uh, the one thing to keep in mind about the monoclonal antibodies, they are injections, whereas the receptor antagonists can be taken orally. It really has evolved since, you know, over the last, say, 10 years or so. Yeah. Um, I know it's going to be very hard to get a monoclonal antibody prescribed by an insurer. I mean, it was took forever for triptans to become available as prophylaxis because of their expense. What if people don't want to give themselves an injection or take a pill every day? What other options are there to try to prevent migraines? Sure. There are a number of non-pharmacologic treatments. The first is dietary because a lot of people have triggers. Things can be foods that you eat or things like going too long without food, having dehydration. In terms of uh, triggers of things that you actually eat, too much sugar can cause it, MSG, alcohol. Some people have red wine as a trigger. And so being familiar with what causes the migraines is the first step in trying to avoid that. And if people aren't sure, then a headache diary can be very helpful. Stress can also trigger migraines. And so some people benefit from stress reduction programs where they learn techniques to calm themselves. Some people will meditate or do yoga or things like that as part of that. Inadequate sleep is another trigger for migraines. So patients getting onto a regular sleep schedule is extremely important. And many people can benefit from yoga and regular exercise. Either of those physical activities can be beneficial. I, I cannot agree with you more, especially about the sleep. Changing some of behaviors. Omar is a great example where he's under a lot of stress. He's not eating properly. He's not paying attention to what might set off his headaches. But most importantly, he's, he's not getting adequate sleep and, and addressing those things. Um, exercise. Sometimes people get headaches after exercise, but how does exercise influence migraine treatment? Well, this is, I think, a really important question because when we talk about exercise, there's a variety of different types of exercises people can do. And when we counsel patients to exercise for specific health reasons, we need to be specific about what we mean. Do we mean go for a walk, go to the gym, work out with weights? What are we talking about? When these th things are studied, there's often going to be a small randomized trial looking at one type of exercise or one type of other treatment. And then eventually a systematic review will get done. And one of the problems with systematic reviews is they often will lump all kinds of exercise together. And that doesn't really help us when we're talking to patients. Fortunately, uh, recently there was a systematic review used a network meta-analysis to compare different 
exercise regimens to see what was most effective. And what they looked at was strength training compared to moderate uh, intensity aerobic exercise and high intensity aerobic exercise. Moderate intensity varied, but they typically targeted about 60 to 80 percent of the maximal heart rate, while high intensity was targeting more like 90 to 95 percent. Interestingly, one of the uh, studies that they looked at uh, involved high intensity interval training, which I know uh, is something that's popular with a lot of people. The control treatments were either medication, uh, which would be either topiramate or amitriptyline, or a placebo. And the duration of these interventions was typically 8 to 12 weeks. What they found was that all forms of exercise were better than medication or placebo at reducing migraine frequency. And typically, with the, the best was with strength training, although I would say high-intensity aerobic exercise was fairly similar in the effect, uh, both reducing, compared to placebo, the number of headaches per month by about uh, two, two to three in that range. So not, not an insignificant difference. With moderate intensity exercise, there was still some benefit, but it was a lot smaller compared to uh, either placebo or medication. So I would have never guessed that strength training would lower the frequency of migraine events. That's really fascinating data. So, I mean, I can think of a... It seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? It does. You're increasing the uh, pressure in your head. Right. But you can see how it might, you know, between helping him sleep better, get some of his anxiety out, and, you know, maybe release some endorphins. Who the heck knows? But anyway... Omar is a grad student. He's under a lot of stress. He's going to get crummy sleep for a while. What, what should we suggest today for him? Well, you know, first of all, I think you and I both know the uh, stresses of grad school and what it can do to somebody's lifestyle. So uh, first of all, a little bit of sympathy goes a long way when you're in with that patient. Uh, but we should tell him that exercise can be as effective as medication in preventing migraines. The best kind of exercise is always one the patient will do. So if someone finds jogging boring, they're not going to stick with it. So we should tell him that either a high-intensity aerobics or strength training can be effective and ask him what kind of activity he would like to do. Once we know the activities he likes, we could then advise him on the amount and frequency he needs to do them, which is usually going to be three times a week for 45 to 60 minutes at a time. It's important for people uh, doing something new, such as strength training, to start out with not their maximum capacity, but something uh, that's easier and then gradually increase because you don't want people to injure themselves and then set themselves back and, and give up on things. Finally, we would obviously talk to him about sleeping and eating properly and hope for the best. Alan, really cool paper, really good study, really interesting approach. Thanks so much for discussing it today. Thanks for having me, Frank. Practice pointer. Strength training is the most effective form of exercise for reducing migraine frequency. Join us next time where we talk about the role imposter syndrome plays in our everyday clinical practice. Thank you for listening to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, brought to you by PrimeMed. To claim CME credit and receive additional information about the article referenced in today's episode, follow the link in the description. To stay up to date on the most recent clinical research and news, please subscribe to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine and be sure to check out primed.com for additional CME content.